Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're doing a series through the Sermon on the Mount. We got started on that last week. We looked at a couple of the Beatitudes. The word Beatitude comes from Latin meaning blessed because this is a story of blessed and happy people. You, some translations have the verses begin with the word happy are the people or blessed are the people. And so we're looking at, at the Beatitudes. This morning we're going to take them out of order. That's going to stress some of you. We started with the first one and the second one, so now we should do the third one and the fourth one. And this morning we're going to do the third one and the fifth one and the seventh one. I don't really have a reason for that. I just want to mess with you. Now, as we'll see this morning and next week, they link together that way. And so we'll look at that this morning and then next week we'll get those two that we missed today. Uh, but the focus this morning is that happiness comes through humble service. Happiness comes through humble service. Uh, Luke 10 ends by telling a time when Martha is serving. In fact, that Greek word, diakonos, that she's serving, that's the same word from which we get the English word deacon, one who serves in the church. Uh, she was serving, she was getting food, and she was worried, and she was fretful, and she was fussing, and Martha or Mary wasn't helping at all. And so Martha went in and rebuked Jesus. She said to Jesus, a master, tell my sister to get up and get to work. And Jesus, instead of rebuking Mary as Martha wanted, he rebuked Martha. Why? Because she was, in the King James, cumbered about with much service. She was anxious. She was fretful. She was uh, so focused on serving, she'd missed out on her Savior. See, Martha taught us that serving is not enough. We must serve with a humble heart. Happiness, being blessed, comes through humble service. So the first thing we're going to see this morning is those who are meek shall receive the inheritance of the strong, the rewards of great strength. Look at verse 5, Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, that's not what we think. That's not what we in our culture think. If you go all the way back, Alexander the Great tried to conquer the world, and he wasn't the first, nor was he the last. And he wasn't known for his meekness. But we have confused meekness with weakness. Somebody said, uh, meekness does not mean you are free to walk all over me. Rather, Meekness says, let me walk a mile or two for you. There's a difference. And those who are meek will receive great rewards. If you can mark your spot here, I want you to mark in Matthew 5 and then turn over to uh, Psalm, 20, uh, sorry, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. We'll look there. Uh, meekness uh, is a requirement. Those who are meek will receive great rewards. They will inherit the earth. You don't inherit the earth by being strong and obnoxious and, and, and mean to other people. You inherit the earth by being meek. 
Psalm 37, verse number 9. It's all right. I'm just glad you didn't start dancing with it. That's all right. If it stayed on a little longer, Bill would have been dancing in the aisle. So thanks for turning it on. And now all of you are wanting to see Bill do that, aren't you? All right, let's bring it back. Psalm 37, verse number 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, that means those who are serving God, like a waiter waiting on the Lord, serving the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Won't that be something? Someday the wicked will be no more. And our wickedness will even be behind us. Indeed, you will look diligently for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The meek will inherit the earth. Henry David Thoreau was a philosopher of nature and and its relation to the human condition. He was a writer, philosopher, naturalist, and advocate for transcendentalism. It's a a false religion, believing that the ideal spiritual state uh, transcends, goes beyond the physical and empirical, that one achieves insight through personal intuition rather than divine revelation and religious doctrine. He designed his own religious faith, which included some tenets of enlightenment, some of the teaching of the Gospels, and a mix of Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, The story is told that his aunt was talking with Thoreau, and she said, have you made peace with your God? And Thoreau said, I've never quarreled with my God. And his aunt said, but aren't you concerned about the next world? And Thoreau said, one world at a time. Jesus said exactly the opposite. Those who are the happiest, the most satisfied, the most fulfilled in this life are the ones that are looking toward the life to come. They are focusing on the inheritance they will receive from the Lord when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will belong there and the wicked will not be there. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. This picture on the screen is of the New York City skyline. In each of those skyscrapers there are offices and every one of those skyscrapers In every one of them, the world believes the happiest person is the one at the top. The one who's the head. The one who has the big corner office with windows looking out over the New York skyline because they have achieved the sea level. Like chief financial officer, chief executive officer, chief officer of operations, the C level letter C. Uh, and, And so they're at the top, at the pinnacle, and they have achieved that. I had a corner office on the sixth floor that overlooked a beautiful park in Fort Worth before I became a pastor. But the Bible doesn't say achieving the peak of your business opportunity is what brings happiness. It says the opposite. Those who are meek receive the rewards of great strength. 
So according to Jesus, the happiest person in all of that skyline might not be one who has the phenomenal view of the Manhattan skyline. It might be the janitor who serves and he's happy. Because we will never be happy if we're not ministering to other people. It's not the most powerful who endure, but the meek who truly leave a lasting mark on this world. In fact, think in your own life. Think about the people who've really impacted you. Like when I was a kid, I met uh, U-2 pilots that flew way up high in the sky, and, and I met lots of preachers and missionaries and public officials and got to shake hands with a couple of governors. And even a few years ago when I was still serving as a chaplain with DPS, had to be in a an event with the governor and sit right next to her for a time. And uh, we spoke at different times, and everybody listened to her more than me. But you see, that's not what brings happiness. The people who have impacted your life are not the people the world looks at as a huge success. The, it's not the Olympic athlete. It's not the pro sports player. It, it's not the business executive. In fact, probably, if you have grown up in school and got through a school system, uh, some of you are homeschooled, some are private schooled, Christian school, but, but if you went through a school system, then the person who impacted you the most was not the person who was in charge of the school district. It was the teacher in the classroom who encouraged you. And so we already understand that, that it's the one who serves that impacts us the most. I can vividly remember some of the teachers I had before I became a Christian, some of the Sunday school teachers. My parents took me to church regularly for years before I got saved. And those teachers impacted my life. And God's still blessing the labor they put forth. The meek are the ones inherit the earth, not the ones who have big fanfare and a big fan club and the most followers on Twitter. It's the one who speaks into your life and ministers to you that makes the biggest difference. And so the Lord said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Secondly, those who are merciful will receive the richest blessing. Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, he gives us in the Sermon on the Mount later, he gives us some additional instruction to help us understand that. In uh, chapter 6, look at verse 14. Chapter 6, look at verse 14. This is after the model prayer when Jesus gives us a model prayer. It's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. But the prayer from Jesus' heart to the Father's heart is actually found in John 17. This is the model prayer that Jesus was teaching other people how to pray. In verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. For if you do not forgive men their trespasses... Neither will your heaven, I'm sorry, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So, 
How many of you have had somebody treat you a little rough, a little odd? They were rude or obnoxious or said something that really annoyed you. Anybody experience that? How many of you are sitting next to the person who did that to you? Listen, um, actually a couple of weeks ago, Kathy and I were talking about it afterward. We really annoyed each other before church one Sunday morning. I mean, really annoyed each other. And here at church, on the property, in the sanctuary of God. And, and so before I actually even got up to preach, we were both praying separately. We talked about it later and resolved the issue. And, and, but um, I had done something that annoyed her. And I didn't like the way she talked to me about that thing I did that annoyed her. And so I kind of snapped back at her. And then it was too late to do anything uh, because she had to be playing musical instrument. And I had to be And so we had to just let it sit there. So, uh, man, I felt like a dog. It's hard to get up to preach when you've just kind of snapped at your wife, um, I think. Let me try that. Uh, um, but, but listen, uh, we need people to show mercy to us. We, we need that. And we need to show mercy to other people. Because God says, if you're the biggest, baddest dude on the block and you don't show mercy to anybody, then when it comes to you needing mercy from God, God withholds it. And you desperately need God's mercy. See, nobody that's married has a perfect marriage. We have a great marriage, but no marriage is perfect. It never has been because Jesus never married. So it's ne- there's never been a perfect marriage, never a perfect husband, never a perfect wife, never a perfect kid, never a perfect parent. But we show mercy and we receive mercy. And the people who show mercy to us are the ones who impact our life the most. Jesus said, if you're not showing mercy to others... God will withhold the mercy you want to receive. Turn over to Matthew 18, jumping outside the Sermon on the Mount and going a little further back in the book. We'll jump back to chapter 5 in a minute. Matthew chapter 18. So Peter, who came out of a theology that taught that you kind of bullied people around and you bossed people and you held people to a strict standard that was difficult even for you. Peter came to the Lord in verse 21. He said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Now, sometimes people get hard on Peter because Peter is showing a callousness. Uh, Peter says seven and the Lord says way more than that. But, But listen. Have you had somebody treat you really badly seven times and you were willing to forgive them and forgive them and forgive them and forgive them and forgive them? See, Peter's actually being quite generous compared to his culture and our culture. But Jesus blows that away, doesn't he? Verse uh, 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, 
but up to 70 times 7. How many is that? 490. And this doesn't mean you keep a tally. And when you hit 491, you can let them have it. Jesus is saying he just blows it out of the water. So it's such a big number you can't even count. And you have to show mercy. There's not a married woman alive who hasn't had to show mercy to her husband in order to save the marriage. There's not a married man alive who hasn't had to show mercy to his wife, although probably less often than she's had to show mercy to him. We have to show mercy to our kids. They have to show mercy to us. We have to show mercy to our coworkers. We have to show mercy at church. Do you know there are some churches that have a fight and they get such a big fight about things that they split up? church splits. Now, we've never had a church split. We've had people leave, but we've never had a group of people leave here and start a new church because uh, they couldn't get along. That happens. And you know which churches split the most frequently? Baptist churches. Do you know why that is? Because Baptists are obnoxious. (laughs) No... All right, listen, I'll, I'll tell you one of the reasons why. This is not the only reason. One of the reasons is a serious theological reason. See, in a lot of churches, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe whatever you want, just so long as you come and be nice to other people. But in the Baptist church, we're always challenging what you believe and focusing on the Word of God. And we're correcting our lives back to the Word of God. So because we're really focusing on doctrine and theology, there's more opportunity to offend. And so it happens. Should it happen? No. Ideally, everyone would get right with God and we'd all get along. And that's exactly what it's going to be in heaven. The wicked will be gone, and we'll all get it right, get along. We won't have to forgive anything. It'll be over and and done with. But listen, uh, Jesus told him 70 times 7, and then he goes on to tell a story about the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with a servant. And here's what Jesus basically said. There was a servant who was really struggling. He was hugely in debt, and the owner, the manager uh, in our culture, it'd be different than it was in their culture, but the one who held the debt and the one who owed the debt, uh, the one who held the debt, he called him in and said, you owe me, and there's going to be punishment. And he begged, and he pleaded for him to forgive the debt. And so the master forgave the debt. And then that guy who'd been forgiven more than a lifetime's worth of debt, according to the story Jesus told, he went out and he found another guy who owed him this little bit of debt. Let's put it in numbers we can understand today. The guy was forgiven a million-dollar debt. And then he walked out and found a guy who owed him a hundred bucks. And he berated that man and had that man thrown in debtor's prison. Aren't you glad we don't have debtor's prison in America? You only go to prison in America if it's fraud. Um, but uh, they had debtor's prison. And this, he demanded that guy be thrown in debtor's prison. And he owed him a hundred bucks and he'd been forgiven a million. And so the one who who forgave the million, found out. The other servants told him. And so he called that guy back in. He said, listen, I'm revoking 
your forgiveness of debt. You still owe me, and you're going to be punished severely until you have paid. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. We don't like that concept of heaven. The world doesn't like that. The average church today, heaven is that wonderful place where there's no troubles and probably everyone will end up there because God's so loving. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said there will be people who are punished severely, eternally, because they rejected the truth of God's word about Jesus Christ, the Son. And they refused to receive God's mercy from Jesus. And now they're going to pay the price. The merciful are the ones who receive the richest mercy. When you forgive other people, God is more forgiving toward you. In our church covenant, we commit to some things. We commit to pray for one another. Hopefully you're doing that. I know you're praying for some of each other, but did you know we have a church directory you can access online? If you don't know how to do that, talk to Megan. And and you can get that uh, church directory and you can pray for the families in the church. Most of the people are in the directory, not everyone. Most are, but she can let you know which ones aren't. You can also pray for them. And sometimes I just open the directory and I start praying through the directory, praying for the people in the church. Our covenant, we will... We commit to pray for one another. We commit to behave honestly and honorably, honestly and honorably, faithfully keeping our commitments. We commit to speak kindly and sympathetically to one another. Now, on occasion, you'll hear Jim Reeves harass me or me harass Jim Reeves, but you know, for the most part, there's just this loving, kind communication. And so we should speak kindly and sympathetically with one another. I know some of you really love our current president. I pray for him. Um, but, but there was an incident during the campaign when he ridiculed a person because the person was behaving weirdly, he thought. And then we found out later that person was handicapped. And, and so in that specific instance, there may be other things he's done really well, but in that specific instance, he didn't do what God said, show mercy. And so we're all held to the standard of God's word. People and presidents and popes for that matter. Yeah, we're all held to the standard of God's word. And God said, if you don't show mercy, you won't receive it. So we speak kindly and sympathetically to one another. Here's a big one. To be slow to get offended and be ready for reconciliation. We commit to that in our covenant. That's, this is what we're going to do. So if I tell a joke about North Dakota and it really offends Bill... He's supposed to come to me, and we reconcile it. He's not supposed to walk out that door, and I'm never going back. I'm going to a church that loves North Dakotans. And I know he wouldn't do that, because there is no... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
I can only say that because I love Bill and he loves me. So look, to be slow to get offended and ready for reconciliation. We're, we're not, you're not going to, it's impossible for you to get through life without offending someone. But our Christian responsibility is when we have been offended, we seek to reconcile. We don't hold the grudge. For years, my dad was in a church where two deacons got at odds with each other. And they stayed deacons in the church, but they never talked to each other for 10 years. Let me tell you something, that won't happen here. The deacons have to talk to each other. We have meetings. We get the whole ministry leadership team together. We talk to each other. If there are issues, we try and deal with the issues. But as a church, we're, we're to be slow to get offended and ready for reconciliation. Now, let's go back to my story about Kathy and I. Okay? She fussed at me. I was annoyed. I snapped at her. Guess who was right? All in favor of Kathy, say aye. aye. All in favor of Terry, say aye. She was right. And we resolved it, and we moved beyond it. Now, we have to allow people to speak into our life. Now, honestly, she could have said it in a way that might not have frustrated me as much. But what she said was right. And now you all want to know what it was. You will never know. You will never know. Because we also commit to avoid gossips, arguments, mean-spirited re retaliations, and wrongful or excessive anger. I was talking with a man in Casa Grande years ago a long time ago. Some of you might know who he was, but most of you wouldn't. And, and I was talking to him about a situation, and he was like, hey, I don't get mad. I get even. Would it surprise you to know that man is divorced and has a broken relationship with his family? Doesn't surprise me. See, the merciful are the ones who receive mercy from God. And if you're not willing to show mercy, then the Lord's not eager to give it to you. And so you can be rude and obnoxious, and then you come into church and say, Oh, uh, forgive me, Lord. And the Lord says, No. Because you go show mercy and then come back and ask for mercy. It's not that we earn His forgiveness. That can't happen. We receive it as a gift, but remember last week, brokenness and forgiveness go hand in hand. You need to be broken over your sinfulness, your spiritual poverty, your spiritual bankruptcy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You need to be broken over your sinfulness. Blessed are those that mourn. And blessed are those who are meek, and blessed are the merciful, because they'll receive more mercy. 
those who are merciful will receive the richest mercy. Verse number 9. Those who are peacemakers earn the reputation of being a child of God. Back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, um, this picture, the peacemakers, the one in the middle, trying to pull people together. <laughs> and when I went on to Pixabay and I looked for a picture that was a free picture we could use in church, uh, and I put in peacemaker, the cult peacemaker was the first thing that came up. And I thought, Pat would have loved me to put that picture up. That, yeah. Blessed are the peacemakers. Isaiah 9, 6 said, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What's the last part? Prince of Peace. Mark your spot here and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Prince of peace. We are assigned the ministry of reconciling people to God to show His love and share His truth so that others might be Save. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, pause right there. What does that mean? That sorry, what was that? A believer. A believer. Uh, a believer. So if Joel has believed in Christ, then he's in Christ. If Lori has, if Ben has, if Teresa has, if Bill has, if Katya has, if you have believed in Christ, then you're in Christ. If you haven't, trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you're not in Christ. So, blessed are, I'm sorry, back in uh, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What does that mean? It means God has done something new in your life. See, before Christ, you were what the Bible calls Spiritually dead. Now, you could still move, you could still think, but you were spiritually dead. And so now you're in Christ, you're a new creation. God did something new. You're not just flesh and uh, soul, you're spirit. God has made you spiritually alive. The Holy Spirit of God has taken residence in your life. Now, that's not just true for us old people. That's true for young people. The kids that are in this room who have trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit is now inside them. And God has made you a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Back to verse 17. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So in the days before and after salvation... We have people in this room who before salvation, they got arrested. Before salvation, they spent time in jail. After salvation, they didn't do those things. After salvation, their life changed. We have people in this room who before salvation, they were mean. After salvation, they're nice. We also have people in this room before salvation, they were nice. They were nice. 
and kind and respectful and lost. But now they're saved and on their way to heaven because we're new. Back to verse 17. Behold, all things have become new. Verse 18. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now you ready for this last part? He has given to us what? The ministry of reconciliation. So, doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how old you are. If you have received Christ, God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. And then he describes it a little. That is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. When Jesus died on the cross, the world could come to God through Christ because he paid the penalty for the sins of the people of the world. So uh, God has reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God has forgiven your sins because Christ paid the penalty of your sins. He didn't forgive you just because you have a cool accent. He didn't forgive you just because you're handsome or beautiful. He forgave you because you received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Christ paid the penalty for your sins. And now he has committed to you the word of reconciliation. So what does this mean? Well, this means that when Teresa goes around in her day with her own kids and then around in the community, she has a, a, an opportunity and an obligation to try and speak God's word into the circumstances going on and encourage and help people and help bring them toward God. It doesn't mean you pigeonhole somebody in a, a booth so they can't get out and you share with them the plan of salvation. You speak God's truth and you encourage them. And that's bringing them to Christ. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job. Now, some of you were nice people before you got saved. Some of us weren't. And yes, I meant us. And, and we had issues. And the Lord forgave those and one of my best friends from high school got saved when he saw the change in my life when I started to live for the Lord. We had been best friends. Kathy and I just had dinner with him last week uh, and enjoyed the time together. And uh, he became a Christian because Christ changed me. Old things passed away, new things he was around in those days when, anyway, the, the not good days of my life. He was around and he saw the change Christ made. So verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now jump back to Matthew chapter 5. We are assigned the ministry of reconciling people to God. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Now, if you are a diehard Democrat, you are not an ambassador for the Democratic Party. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. 
If you're a diehard Republican, you are not an ambassador for the Republican Party. God has commissioned you to, to be an ambassador for Christ. So please do not let your political affiliation alienate you from people. Bring them to Christ. Encourage them to trust Christ. Speak Christ into their life. I'm not on Facebook. I'm intentionally not, not because Facebook is evil, the people who use it are. No, I'm just kidding, just messing with you. But, but I'm not on Facebook because I have ADHD and I'm easily distracted. And if I got on Facebook, I could spend the whole day. In fact, there's times when I tell Kathy, I wonder what happened to so-and-so. And, and uh, you know, I kind of like, I'd be chasing people down all day long, Facebook stalking them, as they call it. But, uh, so I know it's not safe for me to be on Facebook. But if I had a Facebook page, you would not read about politics. You would read about Jesus because we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. That's why you're on planet Earth. And when your ambassadorship is over, you go home to be with Him. So if you're a teacher, you should be one of those who not only helps teach the students, you should also bring the other teachers and the administration Bring them together as a peacemaker, seeking common ground, encouraging cooperation. If you work with Border Patrol or law enforcement, then you not only enforce the laws, but you also value the personhood of the person who's breaking the law. You still enforce the law, but you do it in a way that shows respect for humanity because we're created in the image of God. If you work in IT, then you not only want the computer systems, equipment, and technology to all work together, and that can really be a chore sometimes, but you also want to integrate the workers so they work together and your coworkers, and there's a partnership and a camaraderie to it. If you are retired and live in an age-restricted community, then you do not want to be known as, sorry, Dean, the grumpy guy around the corner. He just happened to be sitting there, so he's not the grumpy guy around the corner. Okay? And we'll pretend that's the tree, okay? Ben's the, or Dean's the happy guy. But you don't want to be that grumpy guy around the corner. You want to be the happy person that as people go for their walks through your retirement area, because people do it all the time because they're supposed to be safe streets, but... Every now and then they're not. Uh, and, and so if, if, they're, if they see you, they should light up a little bit. Because there's that kind person who cares, who's involved and engaged. And listen, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Say this with me. Got to get it up there. Okay. okay, ready? Say it with me. Those who are meek will receive the rewards of great strength, will inherit the blessings of God. Secondly, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Say it with me. Those who are merciful will receive the richest mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Say it with me. Those who are peacemakers earn the reputation of being a child of God. This morning I received an email 
I get devotions from several different places, and most of the time I read them, not always, but this morning I got one from Chuck Swindoll. He told of a time he and his wife Cynthia were attending the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Washington, D.C. One of the main speakers was Colonel James B. Irwin, a former astronaut who was part of the Apollo 15 crew that made a successful moonwalk. He spoke of the thrill being connected with that, leaving the planet, going out into orbit, landing on the moon. He spoke of watching the earth rise while he was on the moon. And instead of the moon rise, the earth came up because he was standing on the moon. And he said, it was such a privilege to be part of that unique group and part of that crew. And then on the way back, he, he began to think, you know, some people might consider him a, a superstar because he's an astronaut and he's gone up there and, and he's with the Lord and are up in, the, in space that only the Lord has done things like that. But he said on the way back, he was humbled by the awesomeness of God. And Colonel Irwin shared this. As I was returning to earth, I realized that I was a servant, not a celebrity. So I am here as God's servant on planet earth to share what I have experienced that others might know the glory of God. That's our job, to glorify God through humble service. Happiness comes through humble service. No other way, no other place. Jesus has some criteria. This is three of those in the Beatitudes. If we really want to enjoy life and be happy, we've got to turn our value system upside down or in the appropriate context. We turn it right side up because the world has it all upside down. And we follow the Lord Jesus Christ.